0: Good morning. It's good to see everyone out this morning. Good to have a lot more of our number with us. Uh, finally, this Sunday, it's been a lot of traveling going on, but it's just very, uh, it's a delightful thing to just have most of our number back to be able to worship together and sing praises to God, study together. Uh, I really think that you, you you can see a difference when you have that full number here, and uh, it's, it's, it's just good to see everyone. Uh, just to maybe, I, I was downstairs making sure that the door was locked when the announcements were being given, but I, I just wanted to add to that, if they weren't mentioned already, Miss Patsy texted me earlier and said that she was uh, feeling a little bit ill this morning, so that's why she's not here, and Paige is staying home with Hawk, taking care of him. He's uh, just been a little sick himself just from vaccination shots and teething, just a perfect storm. So um, that's that's why they're not here. Just add that add, those people to your prayer list, would appreciate that. I invite you to open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22. And I'm going to just start this lesson by saying, if you're not one to usually read through the text when, when it's being read uh, during the lesson, during the sermon, I would say I think it would benefit all of us to make sure that we have something in front of us, whether it's your tablet, phone, or or the, just the paper Bible that you use. I would really commend you in turning through this yourself and reading the words for yourself, because there's a few things that I think are going to be very impactful that I don't want you to just hear from just just from me. I want you to make sure that it is certain within the scriptures. And so we're going to begin in Matthew chapter 22 in verse 34. Very familiar passage, but in verse 34, it says, When the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered themselves together. One of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. Now I just want to stop there. I know that there is uh, very impactful, equally impactful, and very important things to be said after this fact, after verse 38, but I want to stop there because I want to focus specifically on this first commandment that he gives. Notice what, how um, the striking language that Jesus uses when he just talks about this first commandment. All of God's commandments are important. Everything that God has given to us to do, to follow his will, they're all seriously important. And we need to make sure that we don't ever overlook them. But this one in particular, he says, is the first and the foremost. And, and when you think about ju- just being the foremost, the way I look at that is he's essentially saying this is the primary goal of a Christian. This is the primary command for a servant of God to follow. This is the command that all the rest kind of fall under, that all the rest stem from. This is kind of that umbrella. The first and foremost command is, you love God. It's so incredibly important for His servants today, for His people. We must love God before all else, before anyone else. That much is true, but we also must love God before we go any further. And, and because if we don't love Him, I just the, the question that comes up in my mind is, can we really say that we are His child? Can we really say that we are faithful if we don't love Him? And, and so I really want to make the point, uh, first of all, as we start this study, why this is such an important fact. Because a lot of times there are people who are Christians, and they are able to quote Scripture. But the problem is, I think sometimes this is lacking. And I don't think that that's just something that we can look over. I don't think it's something that we should be comfortable with. First of all, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. And, and this is one of those passages, let's read this together. Get this in front of you because I think this is too important not to see. 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 22. After uh, Paul has gone through all of these instructions with his brethren, after he has gone through all of the admonitions of how they're supposed to fix some things, correct some things, this is how he ends the letter. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 22. Read this with me. If anyone does not love the Lord, he is to be accursed. Maranatha. Now, that last word in verse 22 essentially is just, it really is just an emphasis of what he's saying, anathema. Let him be accursed. Now, when you think about what that means, we all know what accursed means. It's, at the very least, it's, it's negative. You don't look at that and say, oh, I wonder about that. That may be something that's inter-. No, it's not interesting. The only thing interesting about it is, I want to be as far away from that as possible. I don't want God to be able to describe, use that as a descriptive term when, when he's talking about my name. And so, who is he saying is accursed in verse 22? Does he say the disobedient? Well, surely the disobedient are wrong. Is he just talking about the hypocrites like the Pharisees and the scribes? There's also passages that talk about them and how they need to repent. Is he talking about idolaters? Is he talking to pagans? Who is the audience that Paul is writing to? Christians. Christians. And while all of these other things that I just mentioned, while all of those, those are also condemned throughout the New Testament, the people he's talking to is Christians, and what he says is, if you don't love the Lord, you are the one who is to be accursed. And so from the very beginning, I think this is one of the most important passages we'll look at throughout the study, because I think just from this, this is striking enough to where this may throw some people. Yes, you may be a Christian by name. You may have done some of the things, but do you love God? Because if you don't, I don't think I don't think a lot of those other things are going to be enough. You move on from that. Not only is, does it start very uh, emphatically, but you go on to James chapter one, James chapter one and verse twelve, and here he talks similarly, not in the negative, but more so in the positive about those who love God. James chapter one. <clears throat> Notice who God's promise is to who the reward is to in verse 12 of James chapter 1 after he's talking about those who who are going through various trials he starts by saying consider all joy my brethren when you endure these things because it produces endurance because it uh, produces uh, in your faith endurance but in verse 12 he says blessed is a man who perseveres under trial for once he has been approved he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him who's he promised to those who love him I, I just I, I know that this is on the other end of that. And in chapter 2 and verse 5, he says something similar when talking about not showing partiality. Listen, my beloved brethren, did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? Now, when in chapter 2, when he's talking about make sure that you don't show partiality between anybody, he's not saying because God is partial. <laughs> he's not saying God is partial to the poor. But what he is saying is, uh, I think, is just what happens to be a common characteristic of those who are heirs of the kingdom, they tend to be poor, poor in spirit. But as he's talking about being impartial with all brethren, with all those who, are, uh, who bear the name brother, he ends that verse by saying, Understand, the heirs of the kingdom are those who love him. So the reward and the blessing that comes to those, the crown of life is not promised to those who just merely endure affliction without any consideration of God. In fact, what you find, I think, over and over again is that's meaningless suffering. If, if you endure all kinds of afflictions, you don't get to say, God, look at how much that I've gone through. Guess what? I get to use this to buy your grace. I get to use this to buy your salvation. No one gets to do that. That's meaningless suffering. Those who are approved... Those who have passed the test, those who suffer for his sake, those are the ones that can be described as lovers of God. Those are the ones who who God says are going to receive that life, who are going to receive those blessings, that reward. Well, also look at Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, in verse 26 beginning. Romans chapter 8 and verse 26. He says, in the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to who? To those who love God. To those who are called according to his purpose. Again, I just want to emphasize that fact as he you know and even go past that in verse 29 for those whom he foreknew he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren and these whom he predestined he also called and these whom he called he also justified and these whom he justified he also glorified so who is the one that's justified who is the one that is glorified who is the one that's called it is those who love him so over and over again throughout the New Testament, and on numerous occasions, this point is brought up that you cannot just be a Christian just, just by name only, but you also have to love him. I might be able to do many things right, but if that love is not there, just looking at verse 28, can I really say that I'm conformed to his image? When you think about Jesus and his characteristics and the love that he had, did it seem like he was just kind of nonchalant about his relationship with the Father? No, he says... My very sustenance, my food is to do the will of my Father. In John chapter 4 and verse 34. In John chapter 5 and verse 19 in verse 30. That anything I do is by His initiative. Not by my own, but by His. His relationship with the Father was the most important thing to Him. Likewise, if we're going to be conformed to His image, it's going to be the same for us. Now, what do we learn from all of this? What am I learning from these passages? First of all, if I don't love the Lord... I don't think it matters if I can call myself a Christian, quote a few Bible verses because I can do it by memory, or even look the part. Maybe I'm even engaging in worship. You can do all of those things. But if I do not love the Lord, I think that much can condemn us. And that's just what you see in in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. But on the opposite end of that, the blessing only goes to those who love him. So I want to start here because these are the facts. And, and even though it, that much is true, even though we can look at these passages, I think sometimes we overlook them in our own lives because, frankly, it's just easy when we're looking at our own lives. It's very easy to look at other people and say, man, clearly those people don't love the Lord. But when it's me, there's a lot more grace because, well, you, nobody else knows what I'm going through. <laughs> I guarantee you everybody has said that a time or two. So let's consider some things to see if maybe I love the Lord the way that I should, the way that, the way that I say I do. Of course, I am very loud and I proclaim proudly and boldly that my love for God is paramount, that no one comes close. Just a couple of questions I want to ask to try and challenge that. So first of all, can I say that I love God if I don't know what he says? Maybe I just don't care to know what he says. Well, my relationship with God is enough, so really, that's all that matters? I don't need to think any more about it. Look over at John chapter, John chapter 14. John chapter 14, beginning in verse 15. What does he say here? If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Skip down to verse 21: "He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father and I will love him and will disclose myself to him." Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, "Lord, what then has happened that you are going to disclose yourself to us and not to the world?" Jesus answered and said to him, "If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. He who does not love me does not keep my works. <clears throat> does not keep my words, rather. And the word which you hear is not mine, but, he, uh, but the Father's who sent me. I love how when the question's asked, what is the answer? Jesus just re repeats almost. He reemphasizes what he just said. If you love my Father, you're going to keep his words. You're going to do what he says. You're going to keep the commandments that he gives you. And, and, and I think what that comes down to is, if you're going to do what he wants, you're going to know those commandments. You're going to know what he has had to say in his will. Frankly, I think there are a lot of Christians today who say, I love God, but then they have no idea how to defend the faith that is in them. They have no idea how to, how to uh, you know, describe to someone when asked about you know, maybe conversion or ask someone about the faith that is in them, how do I become a Christian, how do I get closer to God, I don't really know. Look over at Psalm 119. Psalm 119 is is just one of my favorite, uh, it's it's one of my favorite psalms, but it's one of my favorite passages throughout all the Bible, because it just over and over again talks about the kind of love that I think a true servant of God, a true servant of God has for God and therefore His Word. Psalm 119 and verse 10, it says, With all my heart I have sought you, do not let me wander from your commandments. Your word I have treasured in my heart, that I may not sin against you. Skip down to verse 97. And there are so many other verses that we could look at throughout this psalm. But in verse 97 of the same psalm, he says, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. So when you look at how the psalmist talks about it here, when you look at how Jesus talks about these commandments, this is what a love for God sounds like. It, I treasure these things. And what do you mean when you treasure? You keep them. You hold them fast. When, when, it, when something is your treasure, it is not very easily taken away from you, is it? When, when there's something that is precious and valuable to you, there's a lot of defenses we put up. A lot of security that we make sure is there to make sure that no one can break in and steal that. No one can break in and take it. I, I, I'm sad, sad to say that I think a lot of times while people say they love God and they love to hear his word, they show by their by their own example that they don't really mean that. I remember talking to J.R., um, uh, I can't remember what it was about, but he brought up this story about when he was in the army. And he would be gone, they, him and Sue would would send letters to one another, and... He would, as he was going on his routes, as he was you know, performing his, his responsibilities, he would carry those letters with him. It's not because he hadn't read them already. He didn't have the time. Oh, I, I've got a, just a couple sentences in. I've got to put it away. He carried it with him because when things got maybe a little bit harder, when the day got a little monotonous, when it maybe, maybe just got a little boring, but especially when it got more difficult and he needed a little bit of encouragement, what he would do is he'd pull that letter out and he'd start reading it. Again, it's not because he didn't know what was already said. It's not because he... That, and it's not even that it, this was necessarily out of a sense of duty. Well, I must do this to, to honor her. Maybe that's a part of it. But that's not the reason. He did it because he loved the letter writer. And so what are you going to do? Just keep pulling it out, and I'm going to keep listening to her beautiful words. Beautiful words from a beautiful lady, he would say. And I, I love that thought, and I think that really... I think that should translate to how we view God's word. Because we are in spiritual warfare. We're on the battlefield. I think maybe the main temptation is thinking is just forgetting that we are. And what happens is people don't, they don't pull out that word when they need encouragement. They don't pull out that word when they don't know what to do. They don't pull out that word when doubts start to arise. They just leave it in their pocket. They never want to take it out. And I think that that is damaging to us. Love for God is not just remembering, but seeking, seeking after His Word. Many say that they care about His Word and that they really want to know His Word more, but then you find very quickly that they don't mean it because what what are they doing throughout the day? They're not daily going to it. I think that it is very important that every single Christian engages in daily Bible study. I think it, it is so important that we go through a daily Bible reading that we read throughout the entire Bible in a year. I can't tell you how important that is. We've, we've talked about that before uh, at the beginning of, of the new year uh, of this year. And, and so I won't rehash all that, but I think it is so incredibly important because the same people that say, I want to get closer to God, they don't go to that word in the morning. They don't go to that word before bed. It's just, well, I know that this is important, but I'm going to have to put it off till, the, till tomorrow. You don't do that with brushing your teeth. You don't do that with other responsibilities throughout, other chores maybe throughout the house. Why? Because it is too important to not get done today. And especially when you think about getting closer to God and falling in love with Him, falling in love with His Word more, we need to be going to it daily. Like Jr. did with, with the letter the letters while he was in the army. And, and people will even show this by, <laughs> when they want to make decisions... I just want to know what God wants me to do. And people will pray for guidance every single day. And as they pray for that, they overlook or they just don't look for any in His Word. Prayer is us going to God and speaking to Him and going before His throne and speaking to Him reverently. Scripture reading is that, the other end of that conversation, Him talking to us. And I think a lot of people just like to talk to God but never listen. And that should not be something that describes a Christian ever. We should be the kind of people who, when making our decisions, who want, if we want to get closer to God, what are we doing? We're coming back to the book. We're coming back to the word because that is important. And I want to build that kind of love, that admiration. I want to treasure it truly in my heart. Well, I want to move on to another question. Can I say that I love God if not only do I know what he says, but if I find his commandments burdensome? Go to 1 John chapter 5. We've, we've looked at this recently, 1 John chapter 5 in the adult Bible class. <clears throat> first John chapter 5 in verse 3 well first of all we'll just go ahead and start in verse 1 whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God and whoever loves the Father loves the child born of Him by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and observe His commandments for this is the love of God that we keep His commandments and His commandments are not burdensome for whatever is born of God overcomes the world and this is the victory that has overcome the world our faith Now there's a lot to be said there, but specifically in verse 3. This isn't isn't to say that sometimes when we do what God wants us to do, that it's not going to be hard on us, that it's not going to make things a little bit more difficult in, in the environment around us. That's not what this is saying. In fact, sometimes it will be the very thing that causes division, our adherence to the Scriptures. What I think this is more so talking about are the people that look at God's commandments and almost are resentful towards them or annoyed by them and I'll tell you what this sounds like people who who read through some commands that have been given to us and then they come away from that well of course they're going to do it I I don't want to do this but of course I'm going to do it I don't want to do this but I will because I have to does that sound like a love for God's commandments no that's someone who finds it burdensome there was an elder that I respect so much to this day his wife was just incredibly sick and, and she would often, before COVID ever was a thing, she was one of those high-risk individuals, immune, immunocompromised individuals. I mean, she was truly sick. And, and she wanted to come out to the assembly often, and it was just so hard for her. And we would go and visit her from time to time when we made sure that we were, were very healthy because she was just so compromised. And whenever we went over there, you would just see this man, this elder, take care of her in the most beautiful way. He would never complain. He would never nag because, oh, I'm going to do this because I have to, because I'm your husband. That would not even be a thought on his mind. Till the day that she died, he served her like Christ was a servant. It was the most beautiful thing to see. It was an encouraging thing to see. It was convicting. But you would never hear that man say, while he had to serve his wife, while she was sick and bedridden, you would never hear him say something like this, well, I, I don't want to do this, but I'm going to do it because I have to. He Why? Because he actually loved her. And I think a lot of Christians who, who think this way or say something like this, they don't realize, I, I, I mean, listen, I'm glad that we adhere and we obey God's word, but don't think that God is going to overlook the fact that we have that kind of attitude. Why? Because we do not love him, if that is our attitude. It, you see this even more when people have to be pressed on a matter instead of just immediately accepting it when they come to the Scriptures. When you talk to your denominational friends and we get to the topic of baptism, what, it, what usually happens? You go to a passage like 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 21 where Peter says, corresponding to this, baptism now saves you. It's that simple, it's that clear, and what inevitably will happen from time to time. That our, you know, wherever they're from, our denominational friends will read that, they'll read it for themselves, and they say, Well, you know, I do admit, I see that baptism is commanded here, but I'm gonna need a little bit more convincing. (laughs) It's like, are you kidding me? If if you're not gonna believe this, I don't know what else what else I can do for you. If you're not gonna believe this, I don't know what else I could show you. This could not be more simple. But you know what? This person finds the commandment burdensome. And so they don't want it. They don't love the commandment. They don't love the one who wrote it. You're trying to convert someone... And as you're talking to them about some of the things that God has condemned, that God speaks very severely about, I've even had this conversation with people a a time or two before, but people, as we start talking about alcohol, they say, well, it's clear, you, you look throughout the Proverbs, you look throughout the Old Testament, you even come to the New Testament, it's very clear that God does not look very highly on the alcoholic. He doesn't look very highly on the person that gives themselves over to this kind of sin. But where's the thou shalt not, though? Is that a love for the commandment? Is that a love for the the one who wrote it? I don't think so. Because what are we doing? We're we're ultimately putting God to the test, aren't we? Instead of allowing Him to test us. and, And approving that test. And it's not just with the unbelievers. It's not just with our denominational friends. It's even with Christians. You know, you talk to people about certain things. And people get so frustrated you start talking about lasciviousness and lewdness and some of the modern dancing that we have today. And, and as you talk about that and, and preachers have preached on this, they'll say, yes, God spoke about these things. I know that he doesn't want us to be engaged in this kind of thing. He doesn't want us to be in this kind of environment. But you know what? God, The word prom never comes up in the New Testament. Are we really going to start grasping for straws like that when it comes to the one that we love? Or God has been very clear about how we're to treat the brother, the one who bears the name of brother, but has gone astray from his word, who is the unrepentant sinner, the unrepentant brother. Very clear, you, you don't associate with them. But then someone comes back and says, but I mean, they're family, so I guess I can get out of it. <laughs> now, that, they don't say that verbatim, but that's what they mean. And I'm not saying that it's not a little bit difficult to try and figure out what family members need to do to, to make sure that they're not neglecting other parts of Scripture. They need to take care of their family. But I think people use that other side as a, as a crutch. They use, it as a, they use it as a, really, an excuse to not fully obey God in what he's clearly stated. This is not a love for God, but rather resenting him through what he has said. Resenting him because we don't like the commandment he's given. And just thinking just a little bit more about this word, burdensome, the Mount's D- Greek Dictionary actually defines it as oppressive. This, I, this really, this is a, another but a connected question. It begs the question, why would a servant of God ever, ever find his commandments oppressive? Can, can you even fathom that? If, if a servant of God, a true servant of God, if someone who is a child of God Looks at their beautiful, perfect heavenly Father, and they see a, a part of his will, and they look at it and say, "It's oppressive. How could someone come to that conclusion? How could a child of God come to that conclusion? Understand the kind of mind, the, this kind of mindset has a perverted view of God and His will. God's commands are always for our good. You find Moses said, says that in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse uh, 13. Every commandment he's given, it's for our good. And that doesn't change from the Old Testament to the New Testament. It's always been for our good. It's been to protect us. God's word is only oppressive when you're living in opposition to it. It's only oppressive when you're engaging in something and then you think, ah, I'm afraid to study this out because this, I may have to come to another conclusion. It's only oppressive when we do not when we're not living up to the standards he's given. And so I ask again, can I say that I love God if I am not coming to his word daily, if I am not, if I am not viewing his commandments as good, but rather an oppressive thing? We really need to consider that and challenge ourselves. Well, all that being said, I don't, I don't want it to seem like this is just a, a, negative, uh, a negative outlook on things. All of that is true. That, I mean, we can't get around any of that. But that leaves us with the question, what now? How do I grow in love for God? How do I love God more? And this is not an exhaustive list, just a brief, brief list of things. But I would say one place to start, I, we're, we're kind of coming back to John a lot because John has a lot to say about love for God. But coming back to 1 John chapter 2, 1 John chapter 2 in verse 15. I think one of the main things we need to do is get rid of what competes with a love for God. Whatever is, is competing in our souls for his attention, for, for his reign as king. And I think this comes down to a relationship with the world that we can't afford to have. We need to get rid of the distraction of the world. First John chapter 2, and verse 15, he says, Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, what? The love of the Father is not in him. If anyone loves the world, the love of the father is not in him. Isn't that striking language? We cannot afford to love the world. We cannot afford to allow these things to take over our mind because look at how this finishes. For all that is in the world, the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the father, but it is from the world. The world is passing away and also its lusts, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. What's the end? Well, it's going to fade. And so are we. What's going to happen in the judgment? It only ever, our, our relationship and our love, our affection for the world, only ever pushes our love for God out. Or it rather, maybe, doesn't, maybe it won't push it out completely because we always, we always come back to it. Always, but it will keep us from growing, which is just as detrimental. In, uh, over in Romans chapter 8 again, Romans chapter 8 and verse 6 this time. Romans chapter 8 and verse 6. Beginning in verse 6, it says, For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the spirit is life and peace, because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And so what is he saying? He's just reemphasizing what he said in chapter 6. You used to be slaves of sin. You used to be slaves of the devil, of the world. You broke free from that. Rather, Christ broke you from that. Don't go back to it. You set your mind not on what you used to. You set your mind on what you've been redeemed to think about. You set your mind on the Spirit. You set your mind on God. Because if we go back to that, if we think that we can go back to that and entertain it, James chapter 4 and verse 4, a relationship with God, being friends with the world, is hostility toward God. So don't think that we can kind of put, put a foot in both camps. Now, it's just a practical application of this. I've, there's been a couple times where people have asked the question, "How do I study the Bible better?" or "How do I get closer to God's Word?" And it's a good question. It's a beautiful question. I think every single one of us should strive to ever grow in our Bible study and ever grow closer to the words so that we can say about it. I treasure it in my heart that I might not sin against you. I, I, just immediately when someone starts talking about Bible study, for that matter, I would say, when it comes to the distractions, turn off the TV. Turn off the radio. Turn off the phone. Because how many times have you gotten started on something and then a text came up? Or how many times you got started on something and whatever you know, media outlet you listen to, they pop up with something. Oh, that's interesting. You can't, you can't say, All right, I'm going to read the scriptures until something stops me. You know how many things can stop you in a day? You know how many things can stop you in just your own house? But I will say, with regard to some of these things that we, that we need to maybe turn off for a while. Understand, from, from the phone in our pockets that we carry around with us all the time to the very TVs that we have in our living room, when we think that we're in the comfort of our own homes, don't think that there, it is not built to distract you. Our phones especially, it is designed to keep your attention. And therefore, it's designed to keep your attention away from God if, it, if it's just trying to consume you. We need to get rid of those things, cut those things out as much as possible. If we want to actually do better in these things. Or, or just thinking about, the, it's about just the kind of entertainment that we consume. It may be that we need to get rid of, or we need to change some of our interests. The movies that we watch. I'm fairly certain that there are some genres of movie as, as a whole. That the category just should not be a part of a Christian's uh, mindset. It shouldn't be a part of a Christian's usual uh, uh, viewing habits. There are some TV shows, there are many TV shows, there are many movies that are completely hostile to God. And not even directly, but very subtly. What they're trying to do is get your attention so that way your brain shuts off, you're no longer on the defense, you're no longer thinking, what is the devil trying to teach me now? And that's when they get us, is when we're not thinking. We, are, we shut our brains off, I'm, I'm in the comfort of my own home. Don't think, that Hollywood's not trying to teach us something. Don't think that the devil's not going to use that moment to teach us something. And I even think this about books. We need to be careful about everything that we consume. Because there are some things that will warp our mindsets. And even more subtle than that, but effective, just the environment we put ourselves. Who are we surrounding ourselves with? Just look at Psalm 1, in verse 1. How does it begin? He, as he says, be careful. Blessed is the man who does not stand with the scoffers, how, how does that progress? You stand, you kind of just wait for a moment and you're kind of talking with them and then it progresses and you're sitting with them. You're dwelling with them. At some point, you are just one of the, you're one of the guys. It's no longer just, hey, I had a brief conversation with someone. Now they've captivated us. They've taken our attention completely and now we've surrounded ourselves with people that are going to lead us downward. There was someone that was talking to Paige not long ago and I really appreciate this, this uh, young lady She's around our age. And I appreciate one of the things she said. She said, I'm, I'm basically pushing out a few of the friends that I've had for years. For years. And this is this is a girl that struggles with loneliness. And she's saying, I'm pushing people out. And you want another reason? They are trying to convince me to do things I don't want to do. They're trying to take me places I don't want to be. They're trying to take her to bars. They're trying to take her to clubs. And she, even though she's, she is someone that would struggle with loneliness and depression like that, and she says... I'd, I'd, rather, I'd rather still struggle with this than struggle with those people. That, that is love for God. That is love for His commandments. Not just going along to get along. Well, beyond that, I think very obviously, not only do we push the distractions away, but one way we do that is we pray. We need to pray more often. We need to speak to Him as often as possible. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and verse 17. Pray without ceasing, Paul says. Why? Because we need it. Paul even says in Ephesians chapter 6 in verses 18 and 19, he says after going through that uh, that spiritual armor that we need to put on, if we are going to come out on the other side of this warfare intact, at the very end of that he says, but don't forget prayer. And then in verse 19 he says, and also pray for me. Uh, Let me tell you something, if Paul needed prayer, I need prayer even more so. And one of the reasons that we need to pray more is because you're never going to feel close to someone. How often do you become the best of friends with someone when you never speak to them? In fact, this is advice that I give to some brethren sometimes. People say, well, it feels like nobody ever talks to me. Okay, have, have you gone and talked to them? This specific person, they never speak to me. Have you tried to speak to them? Well, no. Go talk to them. Guess what? You get pretty close when you talk to somebody all the time. You start to talk alike when you talk to somebody all the time. And I think the same can be said about our relationship with God. How can you have any affection for Him? How can you feel close to Him if you never engage in that? We're going to talk more about this tonight, so I don't want to step on my own toes. But if you want to get close to Him, start praying to Him. And, and you know what? When, that, when it feels like, hey, I've already prayed, I've already prayed, pray more. Because it's not going to help to just say, oh, I did it once. You need to do, engage in this. Truly engage in this. Abide in this. Not only that, but we've already kind of mentioned this. We need to get more involved in our scripture. We need to get more involved in our Bible readings. And we need, just like with prayer, we need to go to it more often. Make it a goal. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2 very quickly. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 in verse 6 beginning. It says, Yet we do, not, we, or we do speak wisdom among those who are mature, a wisdom, however, not of this age nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away, but we speak wisdom God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory, the wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood, none of them have. For if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But just as it is written, these things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. Now, let me just ask as you read through that, Did he say that they could not have seen? No, because there were some people that saw. Like Elizabeth and Zacharias. Like even Mary, the mother of Jesus. The disciples. They were not those that Isaiah said that were blind and deaf by their own making. Understand, it's not that they couldn't have seen Jesus. It's that they did not want to. Do we do this sometimes? And I would just use this moment. I want to challenge all of us this week. Sit down at some point this week and start going through some of the points that we've gone through. Start looking at some of of the lists that we have given and and ask first of all, you know, when we were saying can I love God if I don't come to his word? Write down how many hours you've spent. How many minutes you've spent just, just in one week in his word. And if you really want to challenge yourself, write down how many minutes you've spent in his word not including the Sunday, evening, Sunday morning and evening and Bible classes on Sunday mornings and Wednesday evenings. That's a, that's a real good challenge. I, 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 think that, I think that some of us would be surprised. It can't just be that we're coming here to get, you know, to get a little bit of sustenance. Sustenance means it's daily. Daily nourishment. You, just like we said with prayer, you're never going to feel close to someone unless you engage and talk to them. You will never love someone, you cannot love someone that you don't know. And the only way that we're going to know God is by coming to His Word. If we, want to know, if we want to know the author, we have to read what He has given to us, the letter, the book that He has given to us. Finally, I would say, in a word, serve. And again, more. Do so unconditionally. There is a, there is a brother who was talking a a, a long time ago, but it was a really funny illustration. It stuck with me. He said, there was this old lady, it was a sister in Christ that uh, has a local congregation, and he said, she she did not like me for some reason. I could not figure it out, and I would go. I would actually go and talk to her. I would engage with her. She did not like me. She would book it afterwards. When she'd shake someone's hand, she'd see me, and she'd leave. I didn't understand what was going on. And (laughs) As he he was going through this story, he said, so you know what I decided to do? I decided to go to her house every single week and mow her lawn for her. (laughs) What's hilarious is there was a couple times where the woman came out and said, what are you doing here? (laughs) He was doing something nice for her, and she said, just go. He didn't stop. He kept doing it over and over and over again. And you know what? At some point, that relationship started to blossom. It didn't happen immediately, and it didn't happen quickly, but it happened. And you want to know why? Because it's really hard to hate someone that is only wanting to serve you. It is very hard to look at someone putting time, effort, and energy into you and despise them. The more you serve someone, on the other hand, the harder it is to feel apathy for them. I just just really struggle with love for my brethren. Okay, do more for them. I really struggle with apathy. I really struggle with not having a deep love for God. Okay, do more for him. Do serve him unconditionally. And the more that we invest, the more time that we invest, the more effort we invest, I tell you what, love just grows automatically because it is so hard to put all that into someone and not grow in your affection toward them. Well, the primary command is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, and all our mind. You may be a Christian this morning. You, you may be, uh, have, have given your life to God already. You may have done the things that he's commanded of you to become a Christian. The question still remains, do you love him? Right now, how would you answer that? If you can't say that you love him, and you love him strongly, fiercely, don't think that being a Christian by name only is enough don't think that that is enough to to save us from the condemnation of those who just simply don't care about Him. Now again that leaves us with what do we do now? Just think about some of those things that we've talked about and as you read, as you go through the scriptures more, you'll find even more things that will help you in your love for Him. It's not just that this is an exhaustive list. There's more in in this treasure trove of knowledge that God has given to us. It just happens, you just got to go to it and we got to figure it out. And I would also add to that, go to your brethren for help. Let your brothers and sisters in Christ help you. If you are not a Christian, realize what you're getting into. Realize that this is not just something where God, you know, you're not just accepting a Facebook request. This isn't an acquaintance. When you are entering into this covenant relationship, you have to love him more than all other relationships. You have to take him over all other desires and hobbies and investments. He is the primary investment. But what he says is, I know, I know that that can seem difficult. But what he concludes with is, this love will never fail you, it will never fade, and it will never die. It may wane, but because of me, never because of him. And even when it does, he sits there with open arms, waiting for you to come back. And he says, the blessing, the reward, it will be worth it. And so I, I would ask one more time, do you love him? Are you willing to love him? If you are, then that means you're going to be willing to do everything that he says. You believe. Are you willing to be faithful in that love? Act on what you hear and read in the scriptures. That means repent of everything he says. Do away with. Make a confession based on that belief. Be baptized into his death to rise in newness of life in his life. Are you subject to the invitation of Christ by any means? Please come forward as we stand and as we sing.